Welcome to the Push Performance Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 58. Right? You said 58. 58. Cool. Uh, the Push Performance Podcast. Today's uh, Dalton Hurd, myself, DJ Edwards. Welcome. Welcome. Howdy, howdy. Um, today, we're going to talk about on the hitting end about this offseason, what we have planned, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, this is a little different for us this year, where it's kind of our first year of having our own hitting under push performance brand jp you know did awesome job he's doing an awesome job um very fortunate to work with him but you know this is pretty cool for us where it's like under our umbrella and um coming into this off season it's gonna be a little different where you know we're gonna be working with new athletes and working with guys you know and thoughts different thoughts different approaches all that kind of stuff and dalton you're in a cool spot where you have that strength background, you have that movement background to apply to the swing, right? You're still a strength coach on our end, yes. right? Yeah. You still work with us as a, as a strength coach. And, you know, the fact that you can do that and then apply that knowledge to the swing is un- unmatchable, in my opinion, where you have too many hitting coaches, same on the throwing side, too many throwing coaches where it's just – get into this position, get in this position, get in this position, position, position. They have no idea what they're talking about on the movement, yeah. human movement the side. The ripple effect that yep. comes from one simple cue. Yep. 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 So you kind of want to talk about how you – first of all, what what is your plan for the offseason on the hitting side? How how are we operating the hitting side on this offseason? Um, obviously working with the, with the throwing staff and doing their – you know, working on their live at-bats and organizing that stuff like, as usual um so be a little bit more limited this offseason which is cool try and get you guys to sign up which is we just had a conversation about that might be hard to do but please use zen planner download that app and and, and please this use is not zen a planner. paid promotion this is not a paid promotion for zen planner please use it so that the gym doesn't get jam-packed <laughs> um you know but we're gonna have a cool opportunity with a lot of you guys this year so um let's talk about what you see day one, just how, how, what's it going to look like in the, in the off season with the hitting, you know, what are you bringing to the table, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the last thing I want to do, you know, when you start working with a, a new hitter, um, the last thing you want to do is just start changing things from the first day that, you know, we're going to see guys at the end of a long season, their bodies are going to be in weird places. They're going to be moving differently. Some of them have probably been shut down for a little bit. Um, so really we're not going to mess with a whole lot. So the first session or two, usually we just start with gathering as much data as possible, get as much video as you possibly can, whether that's in person in the cage here and also scrapping stuff from, from their seasons, from their orgs, and then, uh, piecing all of that stuff together. And as you get to know the, the hitter, you know, painting a clear picture of what it is exactly that they need to work on. Right. Cause I might see something from the first swing they take off a tee even, or from the first swing they take doing front toss off a machine. Um, and it just not reflect at all who they are. So I think it's very important that you take things really slow. The last thing I want to do, especially, you know, guys that have been swinging about their whole lives, they do this for a living. It's how they feed their family. If anybody goes and tells them they need to do something different from the first time they see them without knowing them, they need to find a new coach. So um, take things really slow, you know, gather as much data as possible, get to know them as best you can, and then work from there. And usually within those days too, you can start to build some, some staples in their work too. So like day one, while I'm getting video, I'll also be helping them develop a little routine 
um, very basic. It looks the same for most people. And then as you get to know them and get to know their swing better, you can add and subtract things, make little tweaks that with uh, particular drills that'll help them or just mental cues, depending on the type of hitter they are, whether they like external cues or internal cues, like figuring that out and then incorporating it into their warm-up routines. Um, that usually starts from day one because it doesn't really require a lot of change. Um, what's, I mean, day one, is that assessment or is that swing day one? Like, so, or is that lesson day one? Yeah, from, assuming, from assuming most of the guys are already doing a, a movement assessment with us on the weight room side you don't really need to do an additional hitting one but at the same time we call the first session an assessment because you know you're assessing their swing every day is an yeah. assessment yeah exactly like i'm getting to see not just how they move on the pt table in there but how they move with a bat in their hands when they're trying to hit something so i am assessing them um, in some sense but really it's just about me getting to know what their movements look like you know where do they stand in the box get to know their knowledge for why they're standing there in the box. If they even realize where they're standing in the box, if see if they understand the hitting zone, um, pick their brain, the knowledge they already have, things they're already thinking, assess them in that way and then pair that with their movement assessments. And then ultimately you can start creating the monster from there. Perfect. So that they, they get that assessment done. Are we running groups? We're running one-on-ones with pro guys, high school guys, both for everybody. Um, our, our groups are going to be, I think we said 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m. for the pro guys. Um, and, you know, we'll probably cap those groups around four to five guys, depending on who's in the group and how well those flow. Um, same thing for high schoolers. Um, what, remind me what the times were for those ones. Four again. and five on Tuesday, Thursday. Four and five p.m. Tuesday, Thursday. Um, same cap. I think that's a good group size, especially if the guys are, they work well together can be a little competitive environment as well. Um, and then also one-on-ones on top of that, you guys will just schedule those with me directly and uh, Ash will help with that too, of course. Um, most or the difference between the two is, you know, just like the focus time that you're going to get on you. Obviously if you're with the group, there's going to be more guys. Um, some guys prefer to do that over one-on-ones because it's not so isolated you get the opportunity to pick other guys brains as well you get more sets of eyes on you right because you know i, I do want to help everybody but sometimes having more eyes on you is better as long as you don't let too many voices creep in your head too many eyes is never a bad thing as long as there's not too many voices um which can be tricky in this in this eyes are different than voices yeah ex exactly you know and, and then it gives you the opportunity to ask other guys that were looking from different perspectives what they saw yeah, but the difference between group and one-on-one -on -one really is just that isolated time with me and uh, the time we get to spend together, you know, looking at video outside of the cage, the time we get to to dive into certain drills and have more conversations, you know, it just it allows us to do a little bit more in less time. Um, whereas groups, it's more of just like a, uh, you know, we're going to take care of what we need to take care of with you, but you also got to understand that there's other guys around you as well. And that's not always a bad thing, you know, it, like there's pros and cons to each, so it really just depends on the player. What would your preference be if a guy were to do group stuff, one-on-one -on -one stuff, depend on the athlete, obviously, depend on the personality, need, right? Um, if you had a preference, what would you? If I had a preference. What, what, what setting oh do you like to work in? Me personally, I, um, I like both. So I would like to start off on one-on-one -on -one stuff and then work into groups um, just so I can like, I, I like to overthink a lot of things. So for guys like me, it might be good for you to do that on the front end and then be able to like nestle into your routine, know what you have to work on, give yourself a little time to do that.
do the overthinking and then join a group and be competitive and know what you're going to work on and attack it that way. Whereas other guys like, well, I mean, if you, if you are like me in a sense too, you don't want to do that all year because you could find yourself in a spot where you're just in your head the whole off season trying to, you know, fix certain things. And you seem to be just trapped in your own world a little bit. Other guys need to just stop thinking about themselves and know what they're going to work on, but be able to shut it off and have a competitive group and get their mind off things and let what they've been working on play out instead of just thinking about it nonstop by themselves. So what you say competitive often, what kind of competition are we going to be doing in the groups, right? Are we going to be doing, you know, barrel percentages off the machine, short distance machine barrels? Are we going to be doing exit velocity? Are we going to, like, what kind of competitions do you see? That to keep it fun for the guys to compete, right? But also have game feels and working on stuff at the same time. Yeah, so um, I like to simulate a lot of game-like scenarios, and whether that's off a machine or a live arm, live arm being a, a pitcher or me, um, they go hand in hand. Obviously, we're going to do live at bats, and that'll be great. Everything will be tracked with our with the track man. We have the hitters that and now, um, so we can you know post some records with that stuff, exit velocity and barrel percentage and whatnot. Um, but, you know, just like the day-to-day -day stuff, maybe we end our, our session with everybody's going through a couple rounds of, you know, we have game scenarios and we're just, you know, putting some putting something on the line just with the boys having fun and um, creating an environment where there's a winner and a loser and ultimately somebody's got to come out on top and compete. That's always fun. Love that. I mean, that's when I played is like, give me a reason to compete, right? Mm -hmm. You'll get more out of me. Yeah. Like you always think there's 100%. You're giving 100%. There's always that extra 5%, 10% that yeah. you can tap. You don't know until you're in a competition yeah. state. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I'm no extremist in that sense either. Like there's a lot of coaches out there who that's, that's all they do and you neglect the development side. Right. So we got to make sure that before we get into that stuff, we know what we're working on. We have our time to work on that stuff, but then also create the situation like a game. And when you don't have the ability to think about stuff, or at least if you did, you wouldn't have a very good chance of succeeding. So a time to shut all that off and just, pretend like you're in a game and compete absolutely and I, I know we talked a little bit before um you you know let's talk about your three pillars that you believe in hitting right um i wanted to kind of talk through your approach and of why you've developed these these pillars why this is important to you yeah so this is the stuff i, I geek out about too and if i were with uh, whoever's listening in person i'd be drawing all kinds of pictures for you and my eyes would be super wide and you'd probably be a little scared but um, I love this stuff. So I, I kind of came up with this stuff on my own over the years. I, I was obsessed with hitting my whole career and just uh, even when I stopped playing, it, it never left me. So for me, the three things that you really need to look at to be a well-rounded hitter is one, the ability to uh, uh, have plate discipline, which goes hand in hand with like uh, pitch recognition. Those two are hand in hand to me. So I'll, I'll count that as pillar number one, pitch recognition and plate discipline. Uh, the second one would be swing mechanics. So like actually how well you're rotating, how long your barrel's in the zone, bat speed, things like that. Um, it encompasses swing mechanics, encompasses all of that kind of all that stuff that we would get through track man data and whatnot as well. And then the third one would be a mentality and approach that creates success. So pitch recognition, play discipline, swing mechanics, and mentality and approach. Those are my three pillar pillars to being a good hitter and um let's go let's go over each one now like what break it down why you came up with it why it's important to you and why it's important to you know little yeah. johnny as a hitter or, you know ken griffey jr yeah, like, yeah why are these you know why are these important for a youth guy why are these important for a pro guy you know how what's your language difference in both you know in all three different 
different uh, pillars to a different athlete. Yeah. So, I mean, when you really break it down, they're all extremely simple. That's what I love about this. And I love teaching each one is because it sounds like it can be complex, you know, these three pillars and there's different words and people think about them all differently, but they're really simple. So the first one, pitch recognition, play discipline. You can't hit the ball if you swing into bad pitches or you're not going to have much success if you are. And knowing exactly what a good pitch is, that would be play discipline. Knowing what the strike zone is and what your hitting zone is. Um, knowing or having the ability to recognize what pitch is coming in, whether it's a strike or ball, obviously. Like us as hitters, we we know that's the case, but we don't really, we've never really taken the time or a lot of us haven't taken the time to educate ourselves on what exactly that is and how it's different from person to person, why, is, why yours might look different from somebody else's and um, and really dive into that. And that does change from person to person, or at least those abilities do. Um, the second one being swing mechanics. Again, you're not going to have a high success rate if you have a swing that is slow. You're not going to have a high success rate if you have a swing that um, the barrel path, you know, doesn't align with the, the path of the ball coming in for a high percentage of the time, meaning you're, you're not on plane for very long. You're just not giving yourself a high percentage chance to hit the ball or hit the ball square. And then the third one would be, you know, the approach and mentality. And, you know, I think this is one that um, – is way more popular to think about now. You get a lot of orgs who even have guys that uh, it's their full-time job to to head up the mental skills department and create these mental beasts. And um, that is extremely important as a hitter. You know, if you don't have the, the confidence, this is the mentality part. If you don't have the confidence that you're going to go up there and succeed, you're, you're going to, uh, you're going to fail most of the time. And having a good mentality can sometimes even, outweigh you know, having a bad swing on a certain day. Like if you just go up there and compete and you don't have your best swing with you for some reason, it's going to give you a higher chance than if you were to go up there and just act defeated. Right. Um, but the other side of that too, is the approach, the mental approach to things like being able to recognize, um, you know, with your swing and how your body moves, if you should be having an approach that's uh, heavy towards a speed of a pitch, a location of a pitch, or maybe it's external part of the field that you're looking to, um, knowing which of those things is going to help you mechanically the most. So like some people it's thinking about hitting the ball the opposite way and it puts their, puts their swing in the right path and gives them a high success, success rate. Other people like to think about pulling the ball. That's a lower percentage of people, but there are people like that. Um, but some guys don't even like thinking about anything outside of their own body when they're swinging. Their approach might just be like, I'm going to keep my hands close to my body and see a fastball because I am hunting speeds and I'm, I don't really want to think much about the field in front of me. And that mentality kind of puts them in the right place to put a good swing on the ball. Um, and again, that's, that's all going to come from learning each individual as uh, over time, as they're in here more and more. Does that answer your question? Very much so. Cool. That was great. Um, what, what's like, if you were to pick one, what's the most important thing? It would probably be swing mechanics right absolutely and that's you know what my favorite day is when i when i finally realize or um can sit across from an athlete or a hitter and see that they understand pitch recognition play discipline approach mentality completely and then just take a step back and say you don't have to think about any about any of that anymore if you have a good swing because a good swing drives good play discipline I mean, how many times have you seen a bad ball hitter hit really well be on bad pitches because he can cover 
up, down, side, side. Exactly. Yep. Right? Yep. So a good swing, you know, it, it, it'll even, I haven't heard this talked about a lot. I, I heard it from uh, one of my college coaches, Billy Boyer. Um, he was a, he was a good coach of mine up at Seattle U for a year. And one thing that I noticed as he was working on a, a swing mechanic adjustment with me is the better position I put myself in at the beginning of my swing made it way easier to lay off balls because recognizing the beginning parts when you're starting to rotate and starting to get into that, get your barrel on plane, it's a lot easier to shut your swing down than if you're a super handsy hitter, right? And your hands are getting away from you because the barrel's getting away from you. It's harder to stop the bat, right? So just having a sound mechanical swing puts you in a position to be able to make a decision a lot later on whether or not you're going to swing on a ball, swing at a ball. And uh, the earlier that decision has to be made, the more trouble you're going to be in. So let's talk about mechanics of the swing now. Like what defines a good swing, right? There's thousands of different swings in Major League Baseball. Yep. Right? Not, or not thousands. You know what I mean. Yeah, There's I know what you mean. Tons of tons of different swings in, in the big leagues and even in the minor leagues. I, granted, you have orgs that teach, you know, swing like this, swing like that, whatever. Mm-hmm. You have hitting coaches that teach a one one swing or bus kind of mm-hmm. kind of way right so in your definition what is what are good swing mechanics good swing mechanics to me is uh, a swing where timing is is used as mostly a crutch timing issues are a crutch so in other words like a swing that gives us the most opportunity for success regardless of timing meaning giving yourself the largest window out front and closer, the closer the ball gets to your body to be able to hit the ball. And in order to do that, it's a swing that matches the plane of the pitch for as long as possible, right? So the longer your barrel is in the zone on the same plane upward that the pitch is coming downward, you're going to have a higher chance of success. And what the fun part about hitting and, and being a hitting coach is you can say that it sounds really simple, but the way you get there, is different for every single athlete. You know, some guys tell themselves complete opposite things of other guys. You know, I like to use myself as an example, obviously. And one of my best cues later in my career was actually to pull off the ball. And that's never something that I would teach, right? Because for me, after years of cutting myself off and not rotating completely, and my barrel was not spending a lot of time in the zone, just freeing myself up to rotate, put my barrel in the zone earlier and kept it in the zone longer. Whereas other guys, if you tell them to do that, they're they're throwing the bat into the third base dugout as a righty. You know, it's like it's not optimal. But that's the fun part as a hitter and as, as a hitting coach. And as you get to know guys and you explore that more and find different cues that work for different people. So this is a weird question. So when you say like pull off the ball, right? Would it's something that you were you stepping towards first base as a right-handed hitter? You mean? No, it was mostly my shoulders. Okay. Right. So. I, I would just like, and, and this is a, this is a personal. Yeah, yeah. Thing. yeah. I just want to know because yeah, never, I, I, I got to be clear about that. Who told like, you about this, this is me. Okay, this is something I figured out myself. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, again, like I would never teach a guy this from day yeah. one ever. You know, it, and the concept of like staying inside the ball and staying through the ball and staying the right side of the field as a righty is is good for a majority of people. Um, but for me, I took it so literally and it took me two years of working on just hitting the ball the other way every single time that I realized uh, I, I just I was taking it too literally. And as my hips started to go into rotation, 
my upper body would stay like they're supposed to, but you get to a point in the swing where the only way to get your hands forward is then without rotating your, your upper body is just to throw your hands forward. Like, so if you stop the rotation of your upper body too early, the only way you can get forward is by throwing your hands ahead of your body. And usually nine times out of 10 guys throw your hands early. It's moving downward slightly at an angle and your barrel follows suit. So you're actually losing the latter half of the hitting zone because your barrel is going on a downward path, not matching the pitch. And where's the pitch that we're typically trying to hit the other way outside. And where's the contact point typically supposed to be a little bit deeper. So by telling myself, stay on the ball, I'm actually eliminating that latter half of the hitting zone because my barrel is traveling downward because I was just staying on the ball too long in a sense. Right. Um, Was this like a mechanical issue, a bio, like biomechanical issue, like we physically not able to get into rotation for me, not at all. It was a so, cue. So it is this something like now a, that like, you knowing what you know on the strength and conditioning side and being able to apply it to the swing, that's something that you could program in the weight room instead of giving yourself that cue or would you, would you still stay with that cue? Like how would you go about fixing that now with your knowledge base? Yeah. So if it were something that like I was just unable to rotate my, uh, my upper half or my torso that late in the rotation phase, then there would be something I would need to prescribe in the weight room um, to fix that. But at the, like, uh, I should say there, there'd be more options and it would be more of a priority to, to prescribe things in the weight room to fix that. That being said, because it was something that I was able to do, but by telling myself to stay on the ball for so long, I wasn't allowing myself to, there are drills in the weight room that maybe would have helped with that. And I'm, I just thought of this just now, but like, uh, maybe the way you cue a med ball shot put or something, you know, and instead of just, you know, you might do the same thing with the med ball. You just get really handsy and you're not really rotating your upper body. I wish whoever's listening could see this right now, but um, if you're just closing yourself off completely and not rotating, opening up your chest at all ever towards the wall, you're not going to throw the ball very hard. But naturally when you're throwing a med ball, doing a shot put, like you're rotating pretty hard everything you got pelvis all the way up to yeah. your shoulders to the way I, I find myself like when i played that i'm the same guy like we have a similar body type right we're right. you know we're not very tall and lean mm-hmm. like you're lean but you know what i mean like right yeah um and i see that now like when i work out throwing med balls and stuff like i overly rotate to get my body into it versus like being super shoulder mm-hmm. and handsy right yep. in my golf swing now you know, my misses are pushes right because I'm not rotating, getting right. into my front side. Yeah. You know, transferring force and transfer, mm-hmm. transferring rotation into that front side. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's like I need to rotate, right? Yeah. And like that goes back to looking at like the skeleton of that of the human, where it's you know wider athletes don't rotate as well. Mm-hmm. More narrow athletes rotate the piss out of it. Yeah. You know, and knowing how to feed into that, like we just did a shoulder assessment on you where you were super compressed and you were, you weren't allowing for extra rotation in your shoulder. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to create space in that area. Right. Same thing in the swing. Right. Right. Creating space yeah. and allowing you to rotate and, yep. you know, taking that weight room approach to the swing and everything we're doing in the weight room is going to transfer over. And the cool thing with you is you have the ability to program for a lot of the guys that you're hitting with. So you see them on both sides of the, for sure, the yeah. spectrum. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so important, you know, to make the the bridge clear for the the hitters in the weight between the weight room and the cage as well. Like the weight room is a great place to 
to expose you if you have poor rotational mechanics, right? Because now you have a heavier load and you're going to feel if you're just dominantly using your upper body or if you're not rotating well. If you're not using the ground to supply efficient rotation all the way up to your to your upper extremities, then then you're going to be exposed pretty quick. So like I'm thinking, you know, if we're doing like a rotational landmine press and it's supposed to be explosive, then it turns into just like this really slow, you know, press and the rotation really isn't a big piece of it. That probably tells you they're pretty handsy hitter as well, right? Because the bat they're holding is going to be a lot lighter. And if they feel like they can control a 90 pound landmine with their upper body, they're probably going to take this 33 ounce bat and do the same thing. You know, it's a, you're quick as a hitter to just use what you have the most feel over. And that's going to be your hands because you do everything with them. And um, for a lot of people that causes a lot of problems. So in that aspect, you're, are you training more rotation than not? Obviously. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then you take this approach where you see a lot of coaches now taking decelerated swings into the, into it. Right. Where, Mm -hmm teaching stop to swing you see a lot of guys my trout they you know they stop they accelerate right they don't overly rotate so what would be the difference between not rotating enough and stopping or fully rotating just keep on going pulling off the ball aka pulling off the ball yeah so does does that make sense yeah it does and this is a this is a fun topic to talk about because there really hasn't been a lot of like research or anything on it but the uh that's going to differ for every hitter as well. N- most of the time, if if you have a good swing, you can also stop the swing, right? It, it's uh, We talk about it in pitching a lot. You know, I'm not the expert with that stuff, but like the lead leg blocking, being able to stop all your force moving forward with that lead leg is ultimately what's going to allow for an efficient rotation and for you to supply power to your throw. It's the same thing with hitting, right? Like that lead leg, being able to stop everything moving forward and kind of stopping um, – any sort of uh, force going towards the pitcher with your hips, keep it in one place, allowing you to rotate. That's super important. And that shows nine times out of 10 in a good swing with, you know, trout and other guys. I'm I'm thinking like stone Garrett too, who who trains here. And, um, but there are some guys where what happens after the swing, if they're thinking about that stuff, it's going to ruin what happens leading up to contact. And, a lot of hitting a baseball is what your barrel is doing before it reaches the baseball and not after, right? It's a good telltale sign sometimes if you're doing something funky after contact, right? But ultimately, once you've hit the ball, nothing else should matter, right? And some guys who are in it, you see this a lot more in smaller guys. There's some exceptions like Altuve. Um, they look, freak. yeah, they look like they over-rotate a lot and um, I think that's just to, to get the, their barrel in a better position earlier in the zone and and create the power that those other guys don't necessarily need to just because of their lever length, right? Um, guy off the top of my head that I'm thinking of, I actually don't know how big he is, but Bo Bichette, right? Yeah. Seems like a guy that rotates like pretty violently. Yeah. You know, he doesn't really decelerate his swing a whole lot. Um, Donaldson's one of those guys too. Flat. Yep, yep. Um, so they're, they're, it goes both ways, right? But nine times out of 10, I would say like if, if somebody can stop their swing and decelerate their swing, they're doing something right as their swing is, is uh, unfolding too. Um, I, I know there's a, an analogy I saw online one time that I really liked, and it was I believe it was a, the out front hitting guy, Casey. Um, 
he he used the analogy of a of a slingshot. And you know, if you're if you're holding the slingshot in your left hand and you pull it back really far with your right hand, the distance of that rock or whatever is in is going to go in the slingshot is very dependent on how strong you're holding that front hand, that left hand. So if you let go and your hand stays in one spot, all the tension you pull back into that slingshot is going to release over that front hand. But if as you let go of that slingshot, you kind of move forward and dump your left hand forward, that rock's not going to go very far. It needs something sturdy to work against so it can produce some power. I think that's some is physics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yep. Simple. I mean, simplified, I guess. Yeah. Physics. Yep. yep. And a lot of people throw that concept out the window when it's teaching baseball. Yep. Right. Not not just hitting, but throwing and all that kind of stuff where it's just like they, they use the cue that worked for them. They have no idea why it's working. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Look at uh, Barry Bond saying he swung, swung down. Right. He thought he swung down. Like at some point he did swing down. Right. But yeah, everybody has a downswing. Everybody has a downswing. Has a downswing right. Yeah. But all these people are saying he didn't swing down. He didn't swing down. But like in his mind, that's all that matters is mm-hmm. he swung, swung right. down. Yeah. Like Trout thinks the same thing too. I've seen some videos of him saying, you know, he tries to think about putting his left hand into his front hip or his pocket and you know he's one of the best hitters of all time so like why would you tell him to do anything otherwise like if if somebody's literally doing that don't tell yourself that we gotta we gotta change things up but um you know that's where it's fun it's different for everybody have you have you seen like a one swing that's very common that works for a lot of people one swing that's very common that works for a lot of people do you have something in mind? Just at the top of my head, like we're talking about deceleration, scissor mm-hmm. kicking, mm-hmm. Um, like a teacher man style, um, you know, whatever he's teaching, you know, like a lot of those guys, like I mentioned earlier, like they're kind of grouped in like a one-way thought, mm-hmm. right? Um, have you seen like a very common thing? I guess the question is, have you seen a very common thing in high-level hitters that is a very is it very it's very common very seen you know commonly seen throughout their swings uh they all, yeah they I mean, all get to the point of contact right very efficiently yeah. and get on plane and catch barrels period right, right? Yep. but yeah i mean negating like a good barrel path and all that which i think is what which you're is trying to thing. avoid yeah. me saying here yeah is uh i would say like even try to think about it right now i don't really know of a lot of guys or any off the top of my head that are are rushed and don't sequence well meaning like their lower body is clearly going first you know it's supplying all of the force from the ground they're getting into good pelvic rotation their separation between lower and upper half um that that happens in every single hitter at high levels but then also um just prior to the pitch like having good rhythm it looks different for everybody some people will say like well that looks funky that's not good rhythm but no it works for him and like it is good rhythm but every good hitter has really good rhythm and is slow and relaxed in the early parts of their swing and then once they start to swing it works from the ground up exactly yep they slow the game down yep that's so simple and then that that would be good swing mechanics, right? And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Whenever they feel themselves not doing that, they don't choose to swing at the pitch. Worst case scenario, you know, you have an 01 count or even an 02 count, but you're not hitting a weak ground ball for an out. How do you increase your pitch selection? Get a better swing. 
Uh, I mean, put simply, that that's. I'm just thinking that's like, it. Yeah. So as dumb as it sounds, like my seven year old, like we worked the other day, like taking pitches, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then he goes into the game, hits like two rockets, one weak ground ball, and then swords himself and coach pitch. Yeah. Because yeah. he didn't know if he should swing or not. Right. Granted, he's seven. I'm not saying. This right. Is, no, I know what you're saying. I actually just had this conversation with somebody a few days ago. There's a point in your baseball life, in your baseball career, where talking about pitch recognition and like learning the ability to recognize spins and release points goes out the door. You know, once you reach a certain age, I don't know what age that is. It might be different for some guys. You know, for me, it was probably right around the end of high school. You've seen so many pitches at this point, so many, so many different spins of the ball. Like you see hundreds a day when you're obsessed with the game, like most of these guys are. You reach a point where you know how to recognize pitches. Like it's yeah. not that you need to like get better at seeing the dot on a slider earlier. Like this game happens way too fast. You're not going to get better at that. You know, it's just it's an it's an instinct that you create over time. Um, so then it like that's the pitch recognition piece, and then getting yourself to swing at better pitches. When I say very simply, like get a better swing, what I mean by that is like your body getting in a really good position as you're starting your rotation that allows you to shut it down as soon as you feel anything getting out of whack, right? So people that are really handsy hitters chase a lot because as your hands get away from you, it becomes really difficult to stop an object of mass, the barrel of the bat, as it gets away from you, right? It's like holding a dictionary out with, out at arm's length or right by your chest. Like it's going to be harder as it's further away. Um, so like being in a position optimally where the bat, the, the barrel head is still really close to your body as you're getting through your swing. And the later your barrel decides to accelerate into the, the hitting zone, the better, as long as you have the bat speed to catch up with pitch right so that's why bat speed's really important too because it it buys you time and you know speed equals power and when you're making contact with the ball but yeah put simply like get a better swing but so those like oculus win reality things is great to an extent for a lower level hitter you think to teach timing yeah. to teach recognition pitch recognition but you know, yeah i think I it's see it all over instagram I, yeah no i think it'd be great for lower level hitters and I mean, it, it's probably fun to do, especially competitively as a higher level hitter too, and like still do some of that stuff, and and uh, maybe it gets your adrenaline going a little bit, like it might in the game. Like that's something you got to simulate too, chart, right? Right. There's there's not a lot of bad tools out there. There's a lot of bad coaches. There's not a lot of bad tools, but um, as long as they're used properly, we had a podcast about this a while ago. But um, yeah, if you if you're in a good position to rotate and you're doing it efficiently in the early parts of your swing, and you feel like your hands are starting to get away from you, what does that tell you? It means, okay, I feel like I need to go get this pitch, which most of the time that means it's not in the strike zone. Right? Your body can cover a lot with your hands staying really close to you. Another thing is like this goes into approach as well. I like to think top of the zone down because if I'm already sitting at the top of the zone and I feel myself start to creep up to a pitch, it's ball. Don't swing at it. Whereas if I'm like thinking low fastball, I'm naturally in the back of my head telling myself I'm going to have to get up to cover some of the zone. And then you start to chase up in the zone. Right. Um, and then, you know, it, it, if your hands get away from you, if you start to creep up, if you start to side bend an uncomfortable amount, it means it's probably too low, you know, things like that. It's, it's body movements that you become so used to, to having when you have a good swing that when they become out of whack, it tells you immediately whether it's a ball or a strike. I, mean, I, I had the same 
same approach where it's like see ball like i want the ball i want to see the ball up mm-hmm. right if the ball's down it literally can't go up it can't rise right right so the ball's down it's going to be down as a ball like lay off that pitch mm-hmm. right yeah i want a spot where i'm gonna there's a border where i'm gonna swing up where i'm gonna swing down yeah the balls can't raise any more than it is it can yep. drop but it will drop into my barrel yeah right? and what's tricky with that is uh if if you have that mentality with a bad swing you're going to chase up a lot because you're not going to know when to shut things down. You're going to see a ball in your eyes and be like, oh, I said up, I'm going to swing up. Whereas if, you know, if you're in a good base and you're starting to rotate and then you feel yourself start to extend your knees a little bit early and you're getting into early hip extension, your hands start to creep up a little, it's easy to, to shut the swing down. Whereas if your hands are getting ahead of you and you're looking at that high pitch, you're not going to stop your hands. You're going to try and catch up to it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys can catch up to it at the higher levels, right? Yeah. But that's because of the quality swing they have. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when, when we say can catch up to it, we're not talking like up at your eyes. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Top of the zone. Right. Like, like lower top. Of yeah. The zone. Yeah. It's like, it's still a strike most of the time. That but makes sense. Lower top of the zone. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's uh, I mean, obviously catch. you can get away with you know, a ball at your eyes sometimes. Like you've seen it on just very rare occasions. Like there's a hit and run or something on and they're swinging dead red, no matter what, like they're sitting fastball and you can get your barrel just about anything when you try and do that. But um, in most cases, you know, a good swing is going to cover your strike zone. And as soon as it starts to go bad, take. Yep. You got anything else you want to talk about for the off season? That's all I had for you today. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to start working with these guys. And, you know, um, ultimately as a hitting coach, like I feel like my first priority is be there for them. And, you know, I have all this stuff that I believe in and I want to work on, but uh, the, the most important thing is that they know I believe in them and, if they need to alter things and they they feel different things and they're the hitter i'm not they're their own best coach my my number one priority is to just educate them to be able to ask themselves the right questions and look at their swings objectively and and uh be able to get better away from me as well because they're going to spend 90 90 of their time hitting when i'm i'm not well, and they should utilize you throughout the year too yep right yep. another set of eyes yep exactly another set of eyes i'll be a voice when you need one but at the very least, I'm just here to help. Absolutely. Appreciate your time today, my guy. Thank you.